And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day, another great week in this greatest nation on God's green earth. Isn't it great? We have a House of Representatives. We have a Speaker of the House. It's functioning. They're going to be deciding on some new rules tonight. There's a great deal of excitement about it. Also a great deal of excitement about a controversial figure, very well known, who for some reason has actually bounced off uh, the floats in the Mardi Gras parade. Who was uh, bounced and why? We will get to that question on the Michael Medved Show. There is also a very minor change maybe to many people but it's a very major change to people in Iowa where they're going to be doing a hunting season all year long to try to commit genocide against the raccoon population uh, yes this is not a joke it is a serious matter we will cover it on the Michael Medved show today and then uh, President Biden, does he have real hope of actually repairing the broken border? And everybody agrees that it's broken. I mean, even the president seems to agree that it's a gigantic problem. But uh, what about the approach that he has talked about? Will, uh, uh, I hope, be speaking to a former official, acting Secretary of Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, who has a terrific column about why what Biden needs to do is more than just packaging, but real change toward border security. And uh, did President Trump end up winning big on the speaker struggle, or is it uh, just indications that he is being, quote, put out to pasture, like some senile old grandpa who is no longer relevant to uh, what's going on in the family. Is that what Republicans are doing to Trump? Uh, there's a, a columnist for the New York Times who says, yep, that's exactly what's going on. I think that's highly dubious, but we will get to that as well. Uh, 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. I just uh, got back um, oh, about an hour and a half ago from the airport because Diane and I had had a, a wonderful experience over the weekend. And aside from the wonderful, wonderful experience of the uh, Seahawks moving on toward the playoffs and winning in overtime, uh, and that's terrific, but we were in Los Angeles, which is a home of the now vanquished uh, L.A. Rams. And what's amazing about that is they have the worst record of any defending Super Bowl champion ever. And uh, that's kind of nice when it means that the Seahawks win. And uh, we, we didn't go to L.A. for any football reasons. We went there for a wedding. And it was a just incredible and wonderful and very moving I've spoken before on, on this show about my very dear friend who died two years ago. Uh, Judd McGelnick was his name. You could read his material. He was a regular contributor to The Spectator and a very thoughtful commentator, gifted writer, uh, amazing father of five, and um, our neighbor for uh, about two decades when when we were living in California. 
And uh, Judd's youngest child, his daughter, Betsy, got married uh, to a terrific guy. And uh, the guy's name is Ben Graber. And to see two families coming like this, where, where both of the mothers were, were widows, and yet the fathers were there. And it was incredibly moving and a reminder of what a wonderful thing community is, what a wonderful thing marriage is, and uh, the the youthful enthusiasm of this celebration that went on quite late last night, and then we stayed with my brother, my brother Harry, and uh, and then he got us to the to the airport, uh, leaving uh, before five this morning. So it was a a long but a wonderful trip. And we are very glad to be here. We are also going to be joined uh, by one of, uh, I think, the most constructive Democrats in Congress, the former chairman of the Armed Services Committee and a very big advocate for strong and robust American defense, uh, Congressman Adam Smith uh, of the Seattle area is going to be joining us here on the Medved Show. Uh, first of all, uh, okay, what happened on Friday night? And it was after midnight on Friday night. So, uh, I mean, aside from the near fight between Mike Rogers, who is, by the way, I, wanted, I believe he will be the new chairman, the Republican chairman of the Armed Services Committee. And, uh, yes, there was something close to a physical confrontation. I don't think anybody was harmed. They still, well, they don't have the metal detectors anymore. They got rid of the metal detectors at the House of Representatives. But with all of this going on, they had made deals, they had reached agreements, and they were supposed to get this done and allow uh, the new Speaker of the House, uh, Kevin McCarthy, to get his 216 votes. He didn't need the 218 because there were a bunch of holdouts who were voting present. And that just reduces the number of votes that you actually need. There ended up being six holdouts uh, who voted present, who didn't vote for McCarthy. And so he won uh, the majority of the people who were voting with 216 votes. And everyone is talking about the different items of agreement that... Uh, he reached with the um, uh, the rebels, as they are called. We have called them before blockheads because people talk about blockading the election of a new speaker. But they had agreed to a range of things, and some of that's going to be paid off tonight because tonight they're going to be having a session of Congress where they're voting on ratifying this deal, basically, that made uh, Kevin McCarthy speaker. The... The point about all this is where does it go from here and, and what really happens to the Republican Party? I, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, Kevin McCarthy, how long is he going to be speaker? He uh, really is going to be the weakest speaker we've ever had. I don't agree with that. I don't think that's true. I actually believe that Kevin McCarthy comes out of this whole experience looking tough and formidable and determined. And look, anytime you win against what looked to be 
pretty overwhelming odds where you have 212 Democrats who are voting every single time, all 15 times, and you stick with it and you negotiate and you refuse to turn back. Uh, look, it, 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 I know sometimes people can look terrific in losing, but Kevin McCarthy didn't lose. He won. Now, did he agree to some things that he may later come to regret? I think he did. And we will get into those to some extent because I think the most difficult thing is going to be basically avoiding some kind of financial catastrophe and a government shutdown and breakdown coming up this summer when we have the debt ceiling increase that is required. But with, uh, with all of that, uh, Kevin McCarthy now has to uh, launch and uh, be very clear about attainable purposes for this new Congress. And I believe he will start doing that this evening. He began a little bit in that direction, and it's one of the reasons that I uh, believe that people who are writing him off are making a mistake. They always were making a mistake because he put this through. He was also very gracious in thanking President Trump for his assistance. But that goes to the Charles Blow piece that says that President Trump is being put out to pasture. By the way, when you talk about people being put out to pasture because of senility and age and advanced decrepitude, there's this guy named Biden. We'll get to him as well on The MedMed Show. Michael Medved show uh, for those people who weren't staying up late on Friday night to watch the 15th round of voting, uh, 14 rounds of voting. And and by the way, just to say over and get the call and response thing where you say Abbott and then he says Jeffries or and the others say McCarthy and okay, doing that. 434 times, and there's 434 voting members of the House because there's that one empty seat in Virginia. But um, can you imagine how much time there is to just do that repeatedly 15 times? And then finally on the 15th time and after midnight on Friday night, just as uh, the country may not have been running out of time exactly because there's no time limit. They keep going until they find a speaker. Then 1855, they had uh, 133 ballots. It took literally two months, two full months, 60 days. Okay, this time it was a week, not two full months, but it felt like forever. And this is what it sounded like in uh, the, um, the, the middle of the night when finally you had the successful... A moment where Kevin McCarthy was elected. This is clip 15. Womack. McCarthy. Yakum. McCarthy. McCarthy. Zinke. The next speaker of the United States House of Representatives. Uh, 
general jubilation. And and then McCarthy, and it's one of the reasons I don't think he's going to go down in history as the weakest speaker we've ever had or anything like that. His uh, first speech as speaker, he laid out some uh, sketch, at least, of a Republican agenda. Uh, listen, this is clip six. As Speaker of the House, my ultimate responsibility is not to my party, my conference, or even our Congress. My responsibility, our responsibility, is to our country. Our system is built on checks and balances. It's time for us to be a check and provide some balance to the president's policies. We will hold the swamp accountable. From the withdrawal of Afghanistan, to the origins of COVID, and to the weaponization of the FBI. Let me be very clear. We will use the power of the purse and the power of the subpoena to get the job done. Okay, it's it's tough to do that. And one of the reasons he's uh, emphasizing here investigations rather than legislation is because <laughs> there's this funny thing about the Constitution. We have two houses of Congress. And on the other side, there's a U.S. Senate, which has an increased Democratic majority where they're in firm control and they're in control of all the committees. So legislation uh, that would actually reform and change things, for instance, one of the very first things that the Republicans are going to try to do is to push through a bill redoing the previous approval of hiring over the course of the next 10 years, 87,000 new employees for the IRS. And it's kind of a no-brainer for conservatives. Uh, look, who wants additional agents for the Internal Revenue Service who are going to be uh, more and more delving into the tax-paying compliance of all Americans. And I know the whole idea is to try to raise more money for the federal government. That also is not a popular thing by conservative points of view. So, look, I think that they could gain politically by having a big fight over those IRS agents and the additional staffing for the IRS. But that's a fight they can't win because it's not going to be approved by the U.S. Senate. And it just won't. And the one thing about subpoenas that he talks about and about investigating the weaponization of the FBI and all of the different investigations that Jim Jordan in particular is talking about, he's going to be running a subcommittee of the Rules Committee, which he's also going to be running, and uh, basically looking at all of this. What, that's one of the reasons they're emphasizing that, because there is limited power to be a check on the president limited power if you will control only one house of congress he uh, nonetheless was gracious was speaker mccarthy in thanking uh, president trump for his support this is in a press conference uh this is again speaker mccarthy clip 16. but i do want to especially thank uh president trump i don't think you should anybody should doubt his influence he was with me from the beginning Somebody wrote the doubt of whether he was there, and he was all in. He would call me, and he would call others. And uh, 
He really was, I was just talking to him tonight, um, helping get those final votes. What he's really saying, really, for the party and the country, that we have to come together. We have to focus on the economy. We've got to focus, make our borders secure. We've got to do so much work to do, and he was a great influence to make that all happen. So thank you, President Trump. Okay, that is something President Trump will like even better than President Trump would like the column that was in the newspaper today from uh, Charles M. Blow of the New York Times. Headline, the Republicans are putting Trump out to pasture. Really? He begins by writing, many families have a grandfather or an uncle who in his prime was the patriarch, the family's force and compass. His counsel was sought and heeded. He was treated with the utmost respect and deference. But as the years passed, his power waned. His acuity dulled. His admonitions began to sound archaic. The family recorded, reordered itself. So another man or a woman became the leader and the grandfather or uncle was demoted without any formal proclamation, but by familial inertia to a kind of elder emeritus. The family still loves him and honors him, but they regularly tune him out to ignore him. He was integral to the family's journey, but is now only incident to its, incidental to its future. Uh, this is what is happening to Donald Trump and the Republican Party, says Charles Blow, a dynamic underscored by the disastrous speaker battle in the House of Representatives. Donald Trump is essentially being put out to pasture. Not only is there no lost love between him and Mitch McConnell, the minority leader in the Senate, in September, Trump accused McConnell of hating him. Kevin McCarthy, his choice for Speaker of the House, was blocked for days by some of Trump's most ardent and outrageous acolytes. A no-Trump acolyte, but still a leader, despite the switch in control in the House of Representatives. What does it all mean? We'll be talking about that with Congressman... Democrat Adam Smith, outgoing chair of the Armed Services Committee, coming up on the Medved Show. Medved Show. It is a great honor to have one of the leaders of the outgoing House of Representatives, who's actually a leader in the uh, ongoing House of Representatives as well as the ranking Democrat in the House Armed Services Committee. He's been its longtime chairman. Uh, he's also my congressman. And uh, I got to admit that um, I proudly supported him, even though he's a Democrat. And uh, Adam Smith, uh, uh, welcome and uh, congratulations to finally getting a new speaker you can work with. Yeah, no, that that is good, and it's uh, also uh, helpful to actually have a Congress. You know, we had like we had like what was it three four days there when Congress didn't act the House anyway didn't actually exist. Right, uh, but now so you're yeah, all duly a- sworn in, and and yes. okay, good. That's all doing extraordinarily well. What I wanted to speak about is you have a piece for Brookings that is reflections on U.S. defense policy. 
And one of the things that I, I look at defense policy and the kind of points you raise about the dangers of China and North Korea and Russia and Iran, um, could all of the new funding for building up our defenses and building up the U.S. Navy and, and developing the most advanced weapon systems that we need, could all of that be jeopardized by some kind of government shutdown or some kind of fight in the new House of Representatives over government funding? Yes, I mean, w w without question. I mean, there, there are many pieces to how we adequately deter those adversaries that you just laid out, um, Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, and also uh, transnational terrorist groups, all of whom have a very similar plan, which is to you know, move the world towards autocracy and push out the influence of the United States and our allies. And there's a number of different pieces to that, but certainly having an adequate deterrent is crucial. And we have to worry about whether or not we will be able to pass appropriations bills and also whether or not we'll be able to raise the debt ceiling so that we don't default on our debt. You know, if we can't do that, if we can't pass appropriations bills, can't raise the debt ceiling, um, then our ability to spend money is going to be severely restricted. Um, and yes, that will be very, very harmful to our ability to meet our national security needs. And uh, are you convinced uh, are your successor is Congressman Rogers, is that right? Yes. Yes. And he is also, as you were, a strong supporter of national defense, is he not? Yeah. Now, Mike and I are on the same page on this. We worked well together when I was chair and he was ranking, and we will continue to work well together now that those uh, roles have been reversed. And uh, in, in terms of actually working together with a Democratic Senate and going back to what once existed, which was that uh, people used to say politics stops at the water's edge, that when it comes to foreign policy, when it comes to items like support for Ukraine, uh, there was a, um, a several pieces about how some Ukrainian officials are worried about getting the support they need through the uh, the new Congress. Uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, no. And look, there's there's two big things here to be worried about with with the the, the House Republican takeover here. Um, I mean, look, the overwhelming majority of Republican members are going to be on the same page on both of these issues, strong support for Ukraine, strong support for, for national security. But what we have is we have this small group of folks um, who are willing to take the House hostage to advance their very narrow ideological objectives, and they don't care about the damage that is done. That's what's to be worried about is they will try to block any effort to pass appropriations bills that don't have – I think the number they threw out there was a 20 percent cut in the overall federal budget um, and then also just you know flat opposing raising the debt ceiling. You know They will do whatever they can to block it. Now, the majority of votes are on the other side of that, but there are many ways to block things from moving forward, even if you don't have the majority. And I think that that small group um, of, you know, well, far right wing is not the right way to put it. I think of them more as like MAGA extremists. Um, and, you know, they, they will use those tools and they could potentially block our ability to continue, continue to function. So it's going to be a challenging couple of years. And then also they seem to have this odd affinity for Russia. 
Um, you know, and I mean, gosh, Matt Gates, you know, tweeted out in the middle of the chaos that the chaos was okay because as long as Congress is informed, is informed, that means we can't help Ukraine anymore. Um, did, did, did Gates really? Because I had missed that. Gates really put yeah, no, that his, out. His, his tweet, his tweet said, "Congress not formed. Biggest loser, Zelensky. Biggest winner, the American taxpayer." That's literally what he tweeted. Um, That's so unbelievable. Clearly doesn't want to support Ukraine at all. I mean, we can debate how to do it, and you know, certainly we don't want war with Russia. We're trying and, to get. And to nobody a wants a blank check, right? Exactly. But to just say that you know we should cut them off entirely and let let Putin do what he wants in Ukraine, that's not a policy that I think is in the best interests of, of this country or the world. Which uh, which seems <laughs> see does seem fairly obvious. obvious. Uh, yeah. Okay, in, in terms of the new rules that are going to be adopted tonight, are there any of those rules that particularly concern you, Congressman Smith? Well, the, the rules aren't the, the, the biggest problem. I mean, most of the – I mean, there's certainly things I don't like about the rules that are, that are in there in terms of some of the special committees that they're forming that I'm not sure what their utility is going to be. Um, you know, there's the now one member can vacate the chair – um, I don't. I don't think it's in the rules package. But McCarthy has agreed to put, you know, some of these, you know, extreme members, at least three of them, onto the rules committee, which could block stuff coming to the floor. Um, you know, they, they make various changes. The, the bigger problem isn't so much what's in the rules package; it's the power that this small group of people obviously hold over Kevin McCarthy and the House Majority and how they're going to exercise it going forward in the ways that I just described. Um, you know, they are they're ideological extremists. They don't really believe in representative government in the sense that they want what they want, and if they can get it through representative government, that's fine. But if they can't, they will try to thwart the will of the majority that opposes them by any means necessary. Um, and that makes this job a lot more difficult. Uh, uh uh, in terms of the first big fight that will determine whether Kevin McCarthy can be a strong, effective speaker, maybe more than people are anticipating, what's the first big test facing the new speaker? Well, I, I think in the short term, there's not going to be any huge test. So they're going to pass a lot of stuff that you know that, that, that a wide majority of conservatives will agree with. Um, you know, they're trying to get rid of the, the new IRS agents. Um, there's a bill that they will pass tonight. They've got bills on immigration, bills on, you know, or making statements against attacks on pro-life groups. Um, they're going to pass a serious piece of legislation, which won't go anywhere in the Senate, um, but, you know, but, but won't ultimately hurt anything. The first big test is going to come when the debt ceiling is breached. And on October 1st, when the funding for the government runs out and we have to get an agreement to keep the government going forward, those will be the really big tests. Between now and then, the result of all this is we're just not really going to pass much into law. Um, but that won't be as dramatic as trying to keep the government from shutting down and trying to keep us from breaching the debt ceiling. And those things are, are, are still months away. The in quickly in a word, the biggest foreign actor as a threat to the United States, North Korea, Russia, China, Iran, or Matt China. Gates. 
well, Matt, Matt, Matt is but one member of Congress. Um, right. I, I still say China, China is the biggest threat that, that, that we face. Well, terrific. I hope Matt won't be insulted by your acknowledging China more powerful even than Congressman Gates. Uh, Adam Smith, uh, you can find his most recent reflections on U.S. defense policy posted at our website at michaelmedved.com. And uh, for people who worry about commuting, which is a great, great number of Americans, especially now that people are going back to work and there are less restrictions based upon the ongoing pandemic. But with uh, commuters maybe actually taking to the skies, thanks to an Israeli startup company called Air EV, the company's Air One that's not Air Force One, it's just Air One. It's a two-seat electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicle made exclusively for the private market. And it made its maiden unmanned flight over the skies of southern Israel. It can fly at an altitude of 1,200 feet and as far as 100 miles on a single electrical charge. And it's been designed to be remarkably simple to fly. The uh, company has secured numerous paid pre-orders and expects to start deliveries by the end of 2024. Uh, more information about uh, Air EV's current funding round is uh, available under NDA, non-disclosure agreement. In any event, this is all through our crowd. And our crowd is just launching its uh, 7,000 participant a hundred more than a hundred different nations are all going to be there in Jerusalem and that's coming up and uh, one of those companies that is getting crowdsourced funding from our crowd that you can participate in you can uh, invest alongside VCs and people with substantial resources and it you can join for free you can also uh, take a look at a video of this new Air EV device, which is pretty darn impressive. Uh, and you can find that at michaelmedved.com. Uh, you can get free information and register and, uh, and join uh, our crowd, again, for free, no obligation. Uh, go to the michaelmedved.com and look for the banner for my brother Jonathan's company. Uh, our crowd. The um, uh, it, ongoing discussion about what comes next, there's a piece in the New York Times, and it's a long piece, and it's a probing piece, but it gives you some sense of some of the ambitions of uh, the Republican leadership in the House, the continuing Republican leadership. And this is not just Speaker McCarthy. It's also Jim Jordan, who a lot of people had anticipated uh, was going to be a major challenger to McCarthy, but he didn't. He supported McCarthy. He is going to be the chair of the Judiciary Committee, and he's also going to be working in uh, a series of special subcommittees investigating some of the problems with national security agencies. The uh, story by Luke Broadwater at the New York Times, 
Newly empowered House Republicans are preparing a wide-ranging investigation into law enforcement and national security agencies, raising the prospect of a politically charged fight with the Biden administration over access to sensitive information like highly classified intelligence and the details of continuing criminal inquiries by the Justice Department. The uh, House plans to vote this week on a resolution to create a special judiciary subcommittee on what it calls the weaponization of the federal government, a topic that Republicans have signaled could include reviewing some of the ongoing investigations at the Justice Department of uh, Donald Trump. The panel would be overseen by Representative Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, who is also poised to become the Judiciary Committee's chair. It remains to be seen who else the uh, Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, uh, who made numerous concessions to the far-right faction in his party, uh, will put on that special committee. In a Fox interview on Friday evening, a representative, Chip Roy of Texas, a lead negotiator for hard-right lawmakers who pushed Mr. McCarthy's team for concessions, portrayed the panel as part of the agreement they struck for their support. He and Mr. McCarthy had committed to giving the subcommittee at least as much funding and staffing as the House Special Committee in uh, the last Congress that investigated the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol. Now, what that implies is that some of the charges about the politicization of uh, the FBI, the politicization of the Justice Department, of the CIA, that uh, this is viewed as a serious threat to fairness and decency and to the republic, uh, comparable to what was going on on uh, January 6th. Is that a legitimate assumption? Look, any time you have credible reports of people behaving in a partisan manner and using law enforcement to advance a, a partisan agenda, it's a very real problem. And one can only hope that, that Republicans will not become obsessed with these issues in the way that so many Democrats became obsessed with investigating, oh, various aspects of the Trump record, for instance, the uh, Russia ongoing investigation that took, what, two years before finally indicating that there was no there there. Uh, this is a uh, this is one of those things where it's, it seems to me that Democrats should cooperate as much as they can because the idea that uh, the, it's going to be okay for uh, intelligence agencies to go after Democrats, but it's uh, not okay if they go after Republicans or that it's okay if they go after one or not the other, it doesn't work. Uh, there has to be a very clear standard that misusing government power, particularly the government police power, which is what the FDI, FBI is about, that is a, a very dangerous area. And speaking of dangerous area, there is the uh, story about Brazil, and now they're talking about uh, taking the former president of Brazil, 
whose uh, name is Jair Bolsonaro, uh, who is now hiding out somewhere in Florida. He left. He left office, uh, never conceding the election, but he lost the election by his opponent, Lula, got 51 percent. The uh, report in the New York Times is that thousands of supporters of Brazil's ousted former president, Jair Bolsonaro, stormed Brazil's Congress, Supreme Court, and the presidential offices. So it's the same idea that we have here of three branches of government. All three were attacked. And uh, they were protesting what they falsely claim was a stolen election, the violent culmination of years of conspiracy theories advanced by Mr. Bolsonaro and his right-wing allies. In scenes reminiscent of the January 6th storming of the United States Capitol, protesters in Brasilia, uh, Brazil's capital, draped in the yellow and green of Brazil's flags, surged into the seat of power, setting fires, uh, repurposing barricades as weapons, knocking police officers from horseback, and uh, filming their crimes as they committed them. Uh, we always said we would not give up, one protester declared as he filmed himself among hundreds of protesters pushing into the Capitol building. Congress is ours. We are in power. Well, no, they're not. And uh, again, it uh, one of the things that is that is different here is that this is occurring at a time when the new president, Lula, has already been installed. When the attack happened in Washington, D.C., Donald Trump had still two more weeks of his presidency left over, so he was in power. And what's also, despite the fact that uh, Bolsonaro was no longer in power, there are all kinds of reports that the federal police, who normally would have protected these facilities in Brazil, didn't do so. But there is something else here, which is that uh, that there was a very clear uh, criticism of the demonstrators by Bolsonaro, who is again in Florida at the moment. Late Sunday, Mr. Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro criticized the protest, saying on Twitter that peaceful demonstrations are part of democracy, but that destruction and invasions of public buildings like what occurred today are not. Uh, this... Uh, at least as an acknowledgement that the violence that w occurred in Brazil was completely wrong and an indication, by the way, of what a uh, bad example America set in, in terms of looking back two years to January 6th, which was not a great day for this greatest nation on God's green earth.